You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series with Pastor Daniel Williams called Joy, A Battle of the Mind, a study through the book of Philippians. Tonight we're going to do another chapter of this little book, four-chapter book of Philippians. It's a, it's a epistle by the Apostle Paul, and it's in our series. We're calling it Joy, the Battle of the Mind. Joy, the Battle of the Mind. Now, G.K. Chester, he said that joy is that gigantic secret of the Christian life. Like, it's huge and a part of our reality that we claim as believers, but it's a secret because you have to do something to get there. Joy, the Bible would describe, is a Emotion of great delight or happiness even. You remember when Jesus would say, blessed are you, blessed. That literally means just happy. Like that God would give us happiness, joy, but it's not external, it's something internal and it's caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. When you have something exceptionally good or satisfying in your life, it brings happiness. It brings good emotion. It brings something the Bible calls joy. Joy. Now the apostle Paul has learned what gives him joy and what can give you joy as well. It's this person named Jesus, God himself, this gospel, this good news. And he wants to share this revelation to a group of people so they would experience emotion, so they would experience happiness, so they can experience the exceptional goodness and satisfying completeness of Jesus despite their circumstances, despite what relationships they're in, or despite what status people may say. So Paul is writing this book to the Philippi church uh, and us so that we can have joy, so we can learn this secret, so we can study it, take captive our thoughts. And he tells us the key to our joy is our attitude. Not what happens to us, but something that's within us. It's internal. You may not be able to control everything about your life, but you can control how you respond to the circumstances, how you respond to people, if possessions possess you. You can respond to these different things that we deal with all in life. And Paul doesn't say to neglect those things or get rid of those things. He says, instead, focus on someone else that truly satisfied. Now, um, in his book, Attitude of, That Attracts Success, Pastor Wayne Cordado, I think that's his name. I don't know, I'm gonna call him Pastor Wayne, all right? Uh, he says this, speaking about our attitudes and having joy. And just in this full book, just because a thought is lodged in your mind does not mean it belongs there. How many of you have had random thoughts? Probably will happen as I speak. I know, okay? It happens. But you, you must decide on, uh, you must decide and steward the thoughts that you are being housed in your heart and your mind. If they don't fit God's best, a victim, a victim. The way that we think matters, and this is what Paul would say is spiritual warfare. It's something that is of the spirit that your mind that you control and worship with God. Jesus said you can love all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul would say, We destroy arguments, deceits, false stuff with every lawfully opinion raised against the knowledge of God, against what God has said in his word, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We are in a spiritual warfare, a battle where the enemy, Satan himself, wants to rob us of, his jo- of our joy, joy that God gives liberally. But Satan deceives us to have our reliance of happiness and our emotion based off of circumstances or things or people rather than God. And we get to decide, will I find my joy in God and have faith in him, trusting what he says and walk that out? Or will I live for other things? We have a responsibility to fight, to stand in truth, the Bible says. And the Bible exhorts us over and over again, not only to guard our hearts, but our minds, this eternal soul that we have, to be able to share the truth of God and say, why are you downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God, like the Psalms say. Now, Proverbs 4, 23, we said, as the mind thinks, so he is, Proverbs says. But here's another proverb for you. This is a book of wisdom to help you walk practically in God's plan for your life. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the spring of life. Keep it. Other translations may say guard it. Take care of your heart because out of your heart, out of what you think in your spirit, it actually matters. 
Internally, it actually matters what happens externally to you because it will tell you how you respond. Again, Pastor Wayne continues in this book that attitude that attracts success. He says, protecting yourself well, guarding your thought life and stewarding all that goes on in your mind, then you will be able to stand your ground against Satan, against becoming a people of the lie. And when everything is done, you will be left standing victorious. Victorious. Don't you want victory over a negative attitude, over the things that bring so much bad emotion? The Bible says that you can be victorious in Christ, that all spiritual blessings are in Christ, that we have to look and give our attention and give our praise to Christ in the midst of all circumstances. And so Paul is giving us certain attitudes or what we were calling mindsets to overcome and to have victory in this life in this spiritual battle that we're engaging in as Christians. Now, two chapters we covered. The first chapter was this single mind. It's a single obedience and glorying in who God is and his gospel, rejoicing in that. The second one is a continual single mind, but it's a submissive mind, chapter two. And he said, Jesus is the pattern. We're to serve one another. So we're to submit to Christ and his will. But then he goes deeper and he says, but that applies also to our relationships. And it will bring great joy if you have a mind to serve others rather than your own will in that relationship. Loving God and loving others. I think that's what Jesus summed up the whole line. Now, tonight in chapter three, we're gonna cover another mindset. Another mindset. It's the spiritual mind. The spiritual mind. The spiritual mind is one where we look at the earth from a heaven's point of view. From a heaven's point of view, we need to have the right perspective here on this earth if we're going to walk victoriously and have joy. And the Bible exhorts us over and over again. In the book that we're reading, if you haven't picked up a book there, in the back, feel free to grab one. It's called Be Joyful by Warren Wiersbe. And he digs deep into these chapters. In his book, he says, it is easy for us to get wrapped up in, in things, things of this world. Not only the tangible things like cars and money and all this different stuff that we can see, but he says also with the intangibles, such as reputation, fame, achievement, we can go after these earthly things and actually bring stress and worry in our life rather than joy because they don't sustain. They can bring great emotions, but then they could also bring bad things. Many people today are slaves of things, he says, as a result, do not experience the real Christian joy. Solid truth. It's something that needs to dig into our hearts that we need to understand what does it look like to be a spiritual person in this world today? This is why we need to have a spiritual mind to live for Jesus, his kingdom, and not the things of this earth that are temporary and fading. And Jesus would warn us this for our minds and for our hearts and how we would live out this life. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, these are the words of Jesus. He would say this. He said to them, take care, guard, heed, guard yourself, take care, be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I think when you grow older and you have Christmas coming up, you realize this, because you're like, I don't really need anything for Christmas. Like, I got everything. Like, if I want to get something, I buy it throughout the year. It's amazing. It's incredible. You start getting less and less joy out of stuff, because that's not really the crux of life. When you start getting older, you're like, wow, I, I value relationships more. I value love. I value kindness, not just like the new and next new toy, our car, our possession. We start to understand this, that there is more than life than just possessions or things or even intangible things like fame, status, control, power. This earthly stuff that we all deal with and all wrestle with. And Jesus says, why live for these temporal things that ultimately don't bring joy in your life because it's a temporary happiness or satisfaction? Now listen, I'm not saying tangible things are bad. I'm not saying they don't bring happiness because they do. It's awesome to have a brand new shirt or a nice car or even a home. These things are okay and they're not unscriptural, but when you live for anything besides Jesus to get your satisfaction, that is unbiblical and sin. It's idolatry. And so Jesus says, you wanna live for something greater than something that would just go away, that will fade. In Matthew chapter six, this great Sermon on the Mount, 
it's known as. Jesus says this in 19 through 21. Do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, here's it again, there your heart will also be. How do we guard our heart? We invest in the kingdom of God. We live for God in this being spiritual-minded, thinking about heaven and being a citizen of heaven and where our source of joy comes from Jesus and we live for him. A source of joy for us as believers is setting our minds on things above, not on earthly things as Colossians 3.2 teaches. It is not that we don't live in this world, but it's that we don't live for this world. Make sense? Gonna go deep into this in chapter three. We need to have a spiritual mind in this life with the reality of heaven as we live. And this is why I'm giving verse 20 in chapter three the theme verse for us, sort of the crux of the matter. It's the theme verse of this chapter. It's Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are actively awaiting Jesus' return. And it helps us purify our lives and live for him. 1 John 3, 3 would say, everyone who thus hopes in him, speaking of Jesus, purifies himself as he is pure. We should be actively engaging in spiritual warfare with the mind and living for God even though it's hard because we know there's the hope of heaven. Because Jesus is real, he is alive, he ascended, and he is coming to return. And so Paul wants us, encouraging us to engage in this. He wants us thinking spiritually about our lives, and he shows us how to do this with our lives, with our past, our present, and our future. Our past, our present, and our future. How do you have a spiritual mind thinking biblically about how you have lived, how you are living, and how you will live? These are something we all deal with as a human being. We have a past, we're living right now, and there's some things that, that guide us, thinking about our hope and what we're living for. And so that's the outline. In, in verses one through three, Paul talks about his past, and he gives us an, an illustration of an accountant. He says, I've counted these things as lost, and this I add up, and that I add up, and Jesus is the big winner. So we'll look at that. In verse 12 through 16, Paul says, but this is how I have this reality of a spiritual mind in the present day. And he says, it gives an illustration of an athlete. Just as an athlete strives for a goal, we too right now strive for a goal and are live for something more than ourselves. Then lastly, in verse 17 through 21, Paul talks about the future and how we live for future. And he says, he gives this illustration of an alien, not like outside of the earth, but like citizenship. Like we're aliens of this earth. We're actually citizens of heaven. And what does it look like to live for heaven? right now on this earth. How do we have a spiritual mind when it comes to our lives? Paul is going to teach us our past, our present, and our future tonight. Sound pretty good, right? All right, let's get into it. Pick up your Bibles, read in the screen, whatever you may want. Uh, we're gonna go Paul's past, how he dealt with having a spiritual mind in his past. There is no therefore no condemnation in Christ. What does that look like? Let's read verses one through 11 together. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, we've covered this because this is somewhat the main verse in Philippians. He's writing these things so they can rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, finally, it's his pastor's outro. So he still has like two more chapters to go, okay? He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who manipulate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and, the, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh in our own efforts. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that was the ritual of the Jewish nation, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count 
everything as loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or my own efforts, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, a trust in God, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his dead, uh, death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Now remember, we are reading large sections of scripture. And so what we're doing is we're reading, we're going back, we're giving the big idea, diving deep. If you want to go even deeper, you read the book. We have community groups, discuss it. We go even more. Last community group, I said, what's one verse that you would could feel like a message would be good for you? And we just talked about it and had about an hour discussion. It was amazing. But it is important for us as we go to this first section to break some of these things down and to re-look and visit of what he's talking about. Now, the first thing Paul wants us to know is that we can and should be rejoicing. We can and should be rejoicing in the Lord because how he saves us. It's by grace that we are saved. We're saved by faith through grace, by grace through faith. And so he says in this verse one, rejoice in the Lord. Don't downplay your circumstances or the people or the problems you're having. He's just saying choose to find your joy or praise in God. Because no matter how bad it gets, it was worse when you were spiritually dead, condemned to go to hell. The wrath of God was on you. But you know what? As you called out by faith unto the Lord and you received his mercy and grace, you can rejoice because he saved you. And that can't be taken away because it's a finished work of Christ, not on your own efforts, not in the way that you feel. You trust that he did something. So rejoice in the Lord. He says to write these same things to you. It's not like he, he taught a different message when he was in person. This is just the exact same thing he's been teaching and he teaches the whole church. This gospel, this good news that we're saved by God's grace, that Jesus died for our sin. He rose again and then um, he's coming back again. He says, it's no trouble for me to write these things again because it is safe for you. Paul reminded them again that it is God's grace and his righteousness alone that saved them. And we need these reminders over and over and over again to grow in the gospel, to understand it, to never move away from it. He wanted them rejoicing in Jesus and not in their selves, not in their own efforts. He, we can always rejoice in our salvation and in God's love. You see, what would often happen in Paul's ministry is he was a church planner, apostolic. He would go and preach the gospel where there was no foundation laid. People would respond and he would have a church be built. He would plant a church and he would go on in his missionary journey. But he knew that false teachers and wolves would come in and attack the church with false doctrine and lies. And this happened over and over and over again. So he tells the church in this sense, in this passage, be on guard, be on guard. And there's a couple of passages we can highlight from this, but let me give you a couple. Acts chapter 20, when he was speaking to fellow elders as he was moving away from Ephesus and leaving them to disciple people. He says, pay careful attention. Notice how many times we're reading about being careful, guarding, uh, taking heed. These are all warnings for us because we have to proactively do it. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves, to the flock to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It's God's church. He birthed it. And now that after my departure, know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, not sparing God's people from among uh, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, because of this, be on alert, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 1, we're to test all spirits according to what Christ has said, the scripture. And Paul's saying, I taught you the scripture. I, 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 there's no innocent, I'm, I'm innocent of your blood. I taught you the whole counsel of God. Three and a half years, he was in Tyrannus, teaching these elders, teaching the church, scripture, truth, matching that. And so he warns the elders, the people in leadership, be on guard. And this is the role of a good pastor. 
A great pastor should be able to feed and teach the body of Christ and the fellowship sound doctrine and rebuke wolves. Titus 1 verses 9 and 10 talk about this and our responsibility as elders and pastors to teach the Bible, to correct. Paul warns us that there will be empty talkers, people that speak a lot of stuff, but it doesn't have any weight. There's no truth to it. There will be deceivers, especially those of the circumcised party. Now, the circumcision or the circumcised party, they were known as Judaizers. Judah, Judah, right, tribe of Judah, they would be a people from Israel that taught that you have to follow Jesus and all of the laws, including circumcision. So the circumcised party or the Judaizers said, you can be a Christian and believe in Jesus, you just gotta do this other stuff as well. Like, you gotta go manipulate your flesh, you gotta do this stuff, you gotta practice this thing, it's Jesus plus blah, 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 blah. Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5 and 4, that he was to teach sound doctrine and to rebuke these type of false teachers, these wolves that would say it's anything besides Jesus and the work and finished work of the cross. He would describe them in Timothy as puffed up with conceit, understanding nothing. Their false teaching produced, it says, envy, dissension, slander, and even evil suspicion. This was a big deal for Paul because he was giving something that was eternally true and people were coming in for their own false motives and deceiving the church. And people in the church were walking away from Christ because of their deception. If you look at the book of Galatians, this is why he wrote because the church of Galatia actually had fallen into the trap of deceit of going after another gospel. And he addresses this in Galatians chapter one, verse six through eight. He says, I am astonished just dumbstruck that you are so quickly deserting him, speaking of Jesus, who called you into grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, speaking of another gospel, but there are some who trouble you. Who are these troublemakers, these false teachers, these wolves, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is why Paul was using such harsh language for these false teachers of these Judaizers that taught you needed more than Christ and the work on the cross. Look at verse two. He says, look at, look out for these dogs. Or he says, these evildoers. Now, it's interesting because these Judaizers would often call Gentiles dogs because they put people down because they, they didn't fulfill all the 613 laws and they, they put other people down to elevate them. So they said, if you're not a Jew, you're just a dog. You're just scandalous. You're terrible. And now Paul is flipping it and saying, you're the dog. You're an evildoer. If you're gonna give anything besides Christ and rely on your own confidence, then you are the fool. You are going down the wrong road, manipulating your flesh and causing people to stumble. Paul is now using this harsh language and saying, you're terrible people who manipulate the flesh. Paul says we aren't, aren't to put any confidence in our flesh for salvation it is Christ alone. And this is why he would teach over and over again, like 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he, for our sake, he, speaking of God, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are saved by grace alone and not our works, Ephesians would tell us. And there are many more verses. Almost every single letter Paul would write, he would address the gospel, what it is, and not to run from it, but to embrace it. He even says in Rome, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto God to save. So why, why would you leave this good news? And yet, this is the popular opinion today. Jesus plus you name it. And sometimes people don't even include Jesus. They just include all the other stuff to get to heaven, to please God, to deal with their sin in their past. They say, well, well, I'm not that bad. Like if, if the scales will even out, I'll be saved from good works. I mean, I'm a good person. I gave some money in the offering. I went to church on Easter, a couple of holidays, man. I, I go even more than just like on Christmas. But the Bible declares to us that there is not one good, no, not one. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and that we need to reconcile that we all fall short of the glory of God, that we can't put other people down to elevate us, that when we compare our lives to Jesus, we all need him. We all need his grace. And so this is why Paul understood that. This is why he says in verse nine, look at it, found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or my behavior or works, but that which comes through faith in Christ. This is the way to do it. And so he gives this illustration in this big, long section of an accountant. In verse eight, he says, I count everything a loss. Well, what was he counting? He was counting his behavior, his, his glory, his good life. He uses his own life to show us that we cannot rely on our own good behavior, our works to be saved, to deal with our sins and our past. He says, we put no confidence in the flesh, verse three. In verse four through seven, he starts using the language. He's like, okay, let me just, let's just think through this. You wanna play the comparison game, who's good and who's not? Well, I was so zealous, I like persecuted the church. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, the best tribe, did all the laws, even so much on the eighth day, I got circumcised because my parents were great parents, taught me in the ways, I persecuted the church, did all this stuff, and it means nothing when you compare it to Christ and the good works. But when you add up my life compared to God and his requirements, he says it's not even close. It's rubbish. It's garbage. You know, a quick way to rob our joy is trying to earn favor for salvation, trying to earn God's grace, trying to do better and try harder. If you look at your past to add up for your righteousness, you're gonna have your joy just robbed every time. There is no good news in that. There's no good news in religion. But Paul is shutting this false doctrine down in this section. And he's saying, if you wanna be spiritual, you gotta rely on Jesus and his gospel alone, not your own efforts. We can't look to our past to find joy, whether it be down or good. We, we don't look to those things. We look to Jesus and the gospel and what he did on the cross. For there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Find your joy in the spiritual work of the Christ and not your efforts. And you'll have some joy in your life. Because guess what? We're gonna live this life and this today will be just the past. And when we have the filter of Jesus and his mercy on our lives, we'll be able to have some joy. But if you're trying to earn it in effort and he says, you dogs and evildoers, don't do that. It's gonna rob you and they're trying to rob you with deceit, with lies from the enemy. Don't think about your life in that way. Next he says, well, what about now? What about momentarily present? Verses 12 through 16, Paul's present. Having a spiritual mind for your current reality. Not just having a spiritual mind thinking biblically of how you got saved, but now how will you live for God and what does that look like? In verses 12 through 16, it says this. Not that I have already obtained this and am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made, his, uh, has made me his own. Brothers, remember he's speaking to believers here, okay? We can be deceived when we don't go and follow the word of God. Brothers, I do not consider that I have it made my own, but one thing I do. Remember, he was focused. It's Christ alone. It's his glory. He's single-minded, so he's not double-minded in his own efforts one day and Christ, no, no, he's focusing on God. He has one thing he does, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. You've obtained the salvation. How do you walk in it in your present reality? Well, Paul next talks about how he is not currently perfect, even as a Christian, just like you and me. He says, not that I have already obtained this in verse 12 and am already perfect. What does he mean by this? He hasn't obtained the power of the resurrection that he's striving for, this, this glorified body, but he's obtained the spirit of God through the gospel and he wants to live for God to get this prize. So he wanted to be empowered by the Spirit of God right here, right now, to live for God. Paul knew that even as Christians, we have to apply the gospel to our daily lives. We aren't paying God back. 
to earn our own righteousness, we're responding because we have his righteousness in us and his spirit living in us. Our life should be responding of worship to God for all that he has done and continue to strive to walk in his love and his truth. You know, it's a miserable thing to live off your own righteousness. As a believer of Jesus, that's one thing that will surely just rob you of joy. If you're continually just trying to live off your own righteousness, especially as a believer, when you know that you have the spirit of God to forgive you of sins, to empower you, to say, okay, God, you gave me all this, now I'm gonna pay you back. I don't need you anymore since. No, it's Jesus plus nothing. You need Jesus. You need to walk in his spirit. And Paul would understand this because in Romans chapter seven, he would talk about this crazy paradox of how he was a believer, had the spirit of God. He's speaking scripture, serving God, planting churches, and he still struggles with his flesh, this sin. He would say, the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the things I don't want to do, man, I do them. There's this crazy battle, this internal thing that's happening. This is why we need to allow our faults and our sin to push us to Christ for his mercy and not our own efforts in trying harder. The biblical words that Paul is defining here are trying to get us to think about is confession and repentance. In your daily life, you need to learn these things, confession and repentance. To confess means to agree with God on your sinful behavior. God defines what is sin and rebellion and you need to come alongside of him and his spirit and walk in truth and say, this is of God and this is not. I have failed, I have fallen short. He wanted me to do this and I I didn't do it. And then God wants you not only to confess and have the weight of sin in your life, but then to repent. You know, repentance is simply a change of mind. We're talking about the power of the mind. To change one's mindset and to turn to God is repentance. God wants you to accept your reality of who you are today, not who you will become, and to make that rely on him and not your own efforts. And we do this through confession, walking in his truth, and then repenting and turning to him. God doesn't want us striving as his children to rely on our own strength in the present, in this moment, but to turn to him and his strength. This is a spiritual mind, one that is continually turning to God in repentance. And you remember 1 John, he would mention this, speaking to believers, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, he says, if we say we have no sin as believers, people that are saved by God's grace, we deceive ourselves. Listen, none of us are perfect, including myself. And the truth is not in you if you say you are perfect. But if we confess our sins, he, speaking of God, is faithful and is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can have some joy because even in our moment, in our reality, when we're walking by faith and we blow it, we can actually learn the faithfulness of God. We could learn the love of God, how he forgives and cleanses our sin. And so Paul gives us this illustration of an athlete. In verse 13 and 14, he says, his brothers, I do not consider that I have, uh, that I have made it my own, But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to hear this, that following God will be hard. And it is hard at times, isn't it? Just to do the right thing, to fight your flesh. It's called, the Bible says, denying your flesh. This is hard in our present reality where we know hope is coming and heaven is real and God has saved us, but it's this sanctifying work of being holy as God as holy. We still struggle with dying to our flesh, but a spiritual mind applies to the gospel to the present moment right here, right now. We still receive God's grace and love. It doesn't try to earn God's grace and love. It walks in reality and says, Jesus, I need you today. And just like an athlete works for a goal or a prize, we should now work to please God and not live for the things of the world or our flesh, but live for the reality of who God says he is and what he will do in our lives. This, is, this work is, and it's hard, and it's warfare in the mind. Having faith in what God has said and applying it. Even the truth that he says about us, like we're saying, we're children of God. 
1 John 1.12 says, whoever believes in him, he gave the right and privilege to become children of God, been adopted into his family, having the spirit of God, that we are fully forgiven. There are promises of God's truth that will be, that will be war on your spirit to actually believe and walk in. But if you receive them and you believe them by faith, you will walk in victory and have joy right here, right now. Now in his book, Levi Lusco, he wrote a book called I Declare War. He talks about four key winnings, uh, four keys to winning the battle within yourself. Sometimes we're our own greatest enemy because God speaks freedom and liberty and love over us and has given us his word, but we don't accept that for ourselves. Like we're truly forgiven. Like we can go to God in repentance. And he starts off this book with saying that we have to declare war on what we think and how this is important to our present day life. Let me give you a couple of inserts and some pages, probably like 19 through 22. Uh, If you have a negative thought, he says, where there should be a positive one, you won't blow up, but you won't grow up into the version of yourself that you want to be. It will affect your life if you do not receive the words of Christ and how he talks about you, how he loves you, how he died for you, how he cares for you. He says, positive thinking isn't evil. Sometimes in the church we think, well, it's just positive thinking is gonna make a reality. No, it's not evil. In fact, you will see just the opposite in scripture. It's not offensive to God, it's obedience to him. Paul tells us specifically that ever-present joy is a part of God's plan in our lives. How do we know this? Because 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 8 through 18, where Paul wrote again to another church, because it's a common theme in the Bible. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's the will of God for you to choose, to rejoice, to believe. He continues to go on and says, setting your mind on things above is declaring war on the low-level thinking. I don't believe in positive thinking as a replacement for God, but as a response to God. Faith allows you to believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. That's what trust is. We don't just have positive thinking to make something up. We're thinking positively or whatever is pure, pure, lovely, what Paul will say later in chapter four on the things of God to apply to our lives. And Paul is making a good case for us to be positive, to choose to rejoice in the Lord always, to fight the spiritual battle of the mind, trust God and his word no matter what or how we feel. This is why in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. It matters how you think. If you wanna grow up and mature in Christ, you need not just pure milk of God, but the meat of God to develop and understand the doctrines and deep truth of what God says. Again, Warren Wiersbe says in this book, the mature Christian honestly evaluates himself and strives to do better. A man does not become a winning athlete by listening to lectures, writing movies, reading books, or cheering at the games. He becomes a winning athlete by getting into the game and determining to win. Have you determined in your mind to live for Christ? To be spiritual? In other words, we have to apply the gospel in our lives currently to have joy. So he says in verse 16, not only let us hold true to what we have, only let us hold true to what we have already obtained, The victory is already won in Christ, but do you believe it? You were loved unconditionally by God, but do you believe it? The promises are yes and amen in Christ, but do you believe it right here, right now? Lastly, he says, you can have joy when it comes to your future. Verses 17 through 20, you see, Paul wants us to be spiritual and have a spiritual mind when it comes to our past, our salvation, how we got saved. He wants us to think spiritual right now in sanctification, how we're walking with God, being more pure and holy. But he also wants us to be think spiritually about our future and our glorification, what the Bible would say, how heaven is real. Reading your Bibles with me as we close, chapters 3, verse 17 through 21. Brothers, remember this is for believers, for you and me. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They walked away. Their end is destruction. It's no good for them to walk away from Christ. Their God now is their belly, and they glory in their shame. They take 
honor in their shame. They marvel in it. They rejoice in it. They brag about it. He says, with minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. It's not on earthly things. It's in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That is a beautiful verse to memorize, that when you know you have trusted Christ, when you die, God is gonna give you a resurrected body, eternal life, by the power that enables him, he says, even to subject all things to himself. Lastly, Paul wants us to talk about our future. It's interesting, the things we think about in the future really guide our moment right now, don't they? We're shaped by our past, we live in our moment, but we're also shaped by our future. And Paul, don't you just love how he gives us the godly example? He says in verse 17, join in imitating me. I'm doing this, I want you to do it too. He's an inspiration to us, one that we can look to. He said, imitate me as I follow Christ. But he also understands that he's not the only one that we can imitate. Because he says that other people, godly people, you can look to as well. Remember, it's not Paulos or Peter or Paul. He would say it's Christ. And Christ living in people like Epaphroditus, like Timothy. He would say, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Look, look at how the gospel is playing out in their life and in that life. And, and, and be surrounded in community to help you live for Christ right now. Paul realized that we all can be examples and make disciples. And so he would tell the church in Corinth that, that they're living epistles, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. He, he, would, he would say we can inspire others to live for Jesus. And, and the writer of Hebrews would even say in Hebrews 10, 24, it tells us not to neglect to meet together because we can actually stir up one another to do love and have good works. That community matters. And he's using himself and he's saying other people and he's saying it's gonna matter your future and how you view your reality right now if you're in community. You see, God's church helps us fight in spiritual warfare as well. Now, there are three common enemies of our soul, the devil, the flesh, and the world. These are found throughout the Bible and there are different tactics to fight these things in our lives because we're talking about the worldly things. First off, we're talking about the flesh. He mentioned that. The flesh is this, this, um, the flesh is this uh, proactive, uh, how you fight it is proactively fasting and praying. You proactively say, I'm gonna abstain from my flesh and not give in what it's not and do something spiritual and greater. So God has given us a spiritual discipline with our flesh to fight it through praying and fasting and, and, and through prayer, we submit to God's will, not our own will. This is something that we all deal with internally, but we also deal with the devil, Satan, the father of all lies, the deceiver, the Bible says. And the way that we fight the devil, the deceiver, okay, is through the word of God. Like Jesus fought the enemy through the word of God. And we fight through the word of God. He is a liar and we combat his ways with truth. Now the way that we fight the world, because we're talking about earthly things and worldly things, that's being a part of God's church. You see, being in community helps us to have godly examples and accountability to walk in the ways of God. The devil, the flesh, the world. The world is a system. It embraces the lies of the devil and the things of your flesh. And it says it's okay to live for those things. It makes it normal. It institutionalizes those things. It's a part of our culture that rebels against God and makes everything normal. And so the world accepts and embraces lies of the devil. And the church shows us that we accept God's truth and you have a community, a group of people that say there's a different kingdom. There is a culture and morals based off what God has said, not what the enemy has said, based off obeying Christ, not disobeying Christ. And it actually inspires us to live a holy life because we have accountability in community. And so God has given us these certain practices to walk out to fight the devil, the flesh, and the world. And we as God's people have a huge impact on people for the good and for the negative. This is why in verse 18 and 19, Paul tells us that some of us have walked away. They've chosen, it says, the God of their belly with the mindsets on earthly things. 
We need to understand and be cautious in having a worldly mindset, one that focuses only on the here and now. Now, this does not mean that we live in isolation, but it means we live for God with our life here on earth. So many things on this earth can cause us not to focus on Christ, right? Or his kingdom, which in turn robs us of our true joy. When we're not living for the things of God and him, we're rebelling, we're walking in sin, and we're not gonna have the fruit of walking and obeying in Christ. It makes perfect sense. But we live in a world where we see all the time and where people normalize it. Things like living for money, your status, your power, possessions, fame, comfort, sex, pleasure, all these things are normalized in our world today. And they say, go, this is how you become, hey, you do you. Just live for yourself, man. YOLO, just please go for it. But God needs to be preeminent in our lives for us to have joy. Be single-minded, like he said in chapter one, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And 1 John 2 would talk about these enemies and tell us to engage in the warfare that we've been called. Verses 15 and 17, he says, do not love the world. Speaking of this worldly system, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, and the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. It's passing away along with its desires. The desires are real and they're strong, but they're passing away. They'll bring happiness and satisfaction for a moment. Sin is pleasurable for a moment, but then fleeting. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. John Mark Comer, and probably my favorite author right now, read all of his books. He has a new one, uh, and it, he says, defines the world as this, a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. And yes, that is just one sentence from his book. That's like Paul, like just a mouthful, right? But listen, the worldly mindset has its ideas, its values, its morals, its practices, and social norms that are against what God says and values. And this is why they oppose each other. Paul gives us an illustration that we are to be aliens, other citizens of our being, of this world. In verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're awaiting Jesus' return and living for him and his kingdom. And this concept wouldn't be too unfamiliar with the church in Philippi, for they were a part of the Roman colony. Remember, Philippi is a major city. A lot of stuff's going on. And they're actually under the law. They're under the language. They're under the culture, the norms of the government, of the Roman government, even though it was thousands of miles away. Rome owned them. They abided by Rome's rules. He says, just like that, you live for Christ. And so Paul is saying to us, we're to live according to God's law, his rule, his promises, his values, his culture as citizens in heaven, even though we're thousands of miles away, even though we're not in glory right now. Keep your mind on things above as an ambassador and live for the promises of God. Live for his culture. Live for his kingdom. Well, to close, Warren Wiersbe says about this future tense living, he says, the citizen of the heaven, our citizen of heaven living on earth is never discouraged because he knows that his Lord is one day going to return. The spiritual minded believer does not live for the things of the world. He anticipates the blessings of the world to come. This does not mean that he ignores or neglects his daily obligations, but it does mean that what he does today is governed by what Christ will do in the future. And so in Philippians 3, Paul encourages us to have a spiritual mind when it comes to our past and salvation. It's Christ alone, not your own efforts. To live in a holy life in our present moment, being sanctified by Christ and his spirit, and for the future, our glorification, to look to him alone, 
when we look to Jesus alone in these areas, our past, present, and future, the Bible promises joy, promises a great emotion, a satisfying emotion, and if we think biblically what God's word is about our lives in this way, we'll receive joy too. Let's pray and let's respond and thank God for the work he did on the cross and celebrate him as we close. Jesus, we thank you so much for your gospel, for your good news. We pray as we come in a, just a moment of response, singing one song to thank you for the work that you did, Lord, that you would help us to have these things, these false doctors, not steal our joy, not rob us, God. We delight in you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you, God. As Thanksgiving is coming up, we just wanna be a people of praise and thanks, realizing, Lord, that there is no future without you. There is no forgiveness of our sins without your shedding of blood. And, and Lord, there is no moment reality that we're gonna find ourselves in complete contentment and uh, have joy in the fruit of the Spirit without walking with you and submitting to you. So we wanna confess our sins. We wanna come alongside of what your word has said, realizing that we need you, that we confess our sins. Lord, the, the bread being your body broken for us, the blood being shed for us, we are grateful for that. We wanna find our satisfaction in you and rejoice in you and you alone. Help us, Lord, to receive this mercy and this love and this grace. For those that are listening that may not be saved, God, we pray that your spirit would do a work and save. We thank you, God, that right now we could come together as believers, confess, and find forgiveness of our sins once again. May you fill our hearts with joy as we go to you and rejoice. We're choosing by faith to rejoice and to praise your name and to believe that we need your grace once again. And so we ask, God, for you to be glorified in our lives as we do this over and over again. Remind us, Holy Spirit, of your truth. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.